Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service and the occasional interview or ministry resource. We hope you'll subscribe. Now, here's today's message. The reading today is from the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Amen. Thanks, Max, for reading. Happy Easter, everyone. And you know what? No plague, no pestilence could stop it. Psalm 91 says this, You will not fear the terror of night, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. We will not fear this. Now, I know this is not the way we wanted to celebrate Easter Sunday, stuck in our homes, but we are not without hope. Easter in today's culture, still is a symbol of hope for many, of, of renewal, even, sophistic, for, even for sophisticated Manhattanites. Now, long ago, they have uh, no longer believe in the actual bodily resurrection of Jesus. The problem with that, of course, is that if there is no real resurrection, then it has no real power to help us in our hour of need. That no, our, our tears can't be wiped away by mere ceremony, only if this actually happened. And if it did, whoever is tuning in right now, it would change everything. Now notice, resurrection is not going back to the way things used to be. That's not what's promised here. Jesus, when he was resurrected, he didn't go back to the way he used to be, nor will we. His resurrection instead is pointing us to the future is pointing us forward in the way things always should have been and have not yet been. And so it's a foretaste of the new heavens and new earth where perfect joy, perfect love, perfect justice exists. As such, every day, every hour, every minute, every ounce of life is transformed by it. And so there's no more important question to ask today than did it actually happen? And so we have two points today, two points. Did it happen? And if it did, how does it change everything? 
Did it happen? And if it did, how does it change everything? So first, did it happen? Whether you believe in the resurrection or not, you're going to have to at some point answer that question of did it actually happen? If the body was stolen by the disciples, you have to ask, okay, then how did they get past the guards who were stationed there on purpose so they couldn't do that? If you say, oh, well, maybe they paid off the guards, you need to know that if you failed in your duty of being a guard back, then you were killed. So that's not an option. If the body was stolen, though, without the guards knowing, why didn't the people who did steal the body, why didn't they give up the hoax once they started being martyred? See, nobody dies for a lie. See, over 500 people saw him. That's what we know. And so some people say, well, maybe it was wishful thinking. Maybe they were hallucinating. But there's no scientific evidence ever for there to be a group of people all to have the same hallucination, let alone 500 people. So there, there's a lot of practical questions out there that need to be answered. And if it was any other year, we might have spent more time today looking at the evidence. Um, but before we move on, let me just try to give you one more piece. I'll give you one more uh, bit of evidence. It's actually in our text. Look at verse 1. And it, notice it says here that Mary Magdalene and Mary were the first ones to see Jesus. Actually, every single gospel narrative, narrative, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all report that women and only women were the first ones to see Jesus. Now, you say you want evidence. You want to know how you can tell this was historically true. How about this, that in a court of law, women's testimony back then was not considered valid. So even if somebody wanted to cross-examine these eyewitnesses, they couldn't and they wouldn't because their views were not legally or even culturally given cash value. And so if you want to make up the resurrection, if you're trying to make this story up, you never would have used as your first eyewitnesses to be women because instantly it would have brought about a conspiracy. There was no way to verify this account. So if you wanted to make up the resurrection, the absolute last people you would have used would have been women. Today, many scholars say that therefore the only reason why all four Gospels would have reported women to being the first eyewitnesses is because it actually had to happen. That, they would, that these writers would have been under immense extreme pressure not to put them in the narrative. And so the fact that they, that they did, even though, though it flew in the face of how anyone ever would have gone about it, probably shows that this t- happened. Now, I think there are other ways to kind of go about this and walk. There's a lot of claims and possibilities that um, could bring about some fruitful arguments that an individual who wanted to explore, there's lots of modes of inquiry. But if you do explore, what you will find is there are plenty of good reasons to believe that this actually did happen. Now, just as important, that is that also answer the question, so what? If this did happen, what difference does it make? So second point, how does this change everything? And I think our text actually does focus in three main areas of how the resurrection changes everything. And uh, let's look at it this way. 
It gives you deep healing, uh, full hearts, and, and an infallible hope. Healing, heart, hope. And what the text is saying is that if Jesus was physically, cosmically, actually raised from the dead, well, that brings about healing, heart, and hope. So first, deep healing in our lives. Why? Because of this. If the resurrection is real, every question that you've ever asked about yourself, every hole in your life, every nagging issue of why we're here and what are we supposed to do and how should we go about our lives and what do I do in my free time? What do I do with other people? Each one of those questions are actually answered in the resurrection. That doesn't mean you give up your day job. What it does mean, though, is inside all jobs now, all acts, all deeds, there is a meaning and a purpose and a mission that wasn't there before. See, look at the, our, our text. It says these women, when they meet this angel in verse 7, after seeing the evidence for the resurrection, the angel says, go quickly and tell the disciples. You say, okay, why? He says, because he has risen from the dead. Then, as they're going, they meet Jesus in verse 9. Same thing happens. Suddenly, Jesus meets them, it says, and he says, greetings. And he welcomes them, but... He doesn't leave them there. He says, go and tell others. And then you see in the text that they actually ran to tell the disciples. The immediacy of the resurrection doesn't allow us to sit on that information. That it sends you out. It propels you out. To go out, it becomes this burning sensation in your soul. Because now you know how God's going to fix everything. And that moves us. I think one of the reasons why we today are in such despair is because we assume functionally that this is how our lives will always be, that this is how the world is always going to be broken, that this is what you're all is. It, none of this is going to go away. Joni Erickson Tata, who I had the privilege of setting up a conference for her years ago in, in Boston, she and I, when I was talking to her, she was telling me about her life and. Her story is that when she was 18, she, had an, she got in a really horrific accident and became paralyzed from the neck down. I mean, now, today, she's lived over 50 years, not able to move her finger, not able to walk from her neck down. And she says that when, she, when it first happened, all she did was want to cry all day. And I think that's pretty natural. That's what, all, that's what we want to do. <laughs> we want to just cry all day. But then she says one day it was slammed into her. I'm going to quote her. She says, I suddenly realized that when I get to the wedding feast of the Lamb, the first thing I'll be able to do with my resurrected legs is I'll be able to get down on my knees to be at the feet of Jesus. And then I'm going to rise up on my feet and I'm going to dance. You see, she says, she says later, what the, resurre- what the healing of the resurrection does for her for somebody with spinal cord injuries, somebody who's manic depressive, somebody who's isolated, somebody who's been sad about losing their jobs or their family members. She says what it gave her is it gave her a mission. That before she was in despair, she was lost. But then when she was healed by the resurrection, she knew her job was to get this resurrection power out into the world, into other people's lives. And so what the resurrection did is it healed her soul through the knowledge 
that she knew now that her body one day was going to be healed. That one day it was all going to be made better. And therefore, she can now live in light of that truth. So look how it heals you. right? You have a broken body, the resurrection. I can't walk, resurrection. If you're lonely, resurrection. If you're tired and empty, resurrection. In other words, don't you think if you knew that this body and this world and this life is so much more than what it will be one day, don't you think you should let that heal your soul now? Don't you think you should let the future color your present and inform our lives now? Because if you had a message that could heal people, not only by delivering it, but it can actually heal you while you deliver it. Not just verbally. We're not saying just talk verbally about the resurrection. Sometimes the best way to deliver the resurrection power is not with words. There is a deep healing available here that will move you out. You will go running to love and to serve, and it will move you because of the resurrection. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and other members of our church community. If you have questions about today's message, send an email to lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our Sunday worship service. Now, here's the remainder of today's teaching. Secondly, though, the resurrection says also it will bring about full hearts. Look at verse 8. And as the women are leaving the tomb, the writer is trying to convey the feelings that they had. It says that they hurried from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. That's a curious phrase because usually you're either afraid or filled with joy. They don't go together. So how could that be? Well, the answer is in this concept about fear. We think fear just means being scared. But in the Bible, there's this concept of fear of the Lord. That doesn't mean scared or worried. It means more awe or wonder or surprise. Go to Psalm 130 verse 4 and it says this. It says, I fear you because you've forgiven me. That means whatever fear is here, it's not I'm scared that you forgave me. I'm in wonder that you forgave me. I'm perplexed that you forgave me. Maybe it's even a little bit of an unsettling and astonished, but it's not, it's not being scared. Um, put it this way. Have you ever held something that is precious or maybe priceless? When I was doing my PhD, I had to go to a library and I held a very famous uh, document from the 1700s that uh, was very old. And I had to be very careful. I had it on my hands. And as I was holding it, I, my hands started sweating. I started getting worried that maybe the oils from my hands was going to ruin this document. So, of course, that made me sweat more. Now, notice, I wasn't scared of the document. I was scared for the document because I wanted to honor it. I wanted to cherish it. If you've ever been in the presence of, of greatness, somebody that you have great respect for, you're not scared of them. You have a, a trepidation, though, and a focus that you wouldn't normally have. In the same way, if you get in the presence of the God of love, you don't need to be afraid of him, but 
you should be in awe of his nature, filled with astonishment and wonder, maybe even a little bit unsettled. Why? Because he loves us despite our daily denial of him. That's hard to compute. Notice they had fear and joy, a fear because they, they knew they were sinners, but joy because they're loved. Only if you have both of them together can you have change and transformation and a full heart. Why? Because a real resurrection brings a real change. Because if Jesus really is forgiving you, and he spe- then he could be speaking to you right now, just like he spoke to these women and said, greetings, hello. They thought he was dead, but he's alive. And if he is alive, then he can be alive in you. That makes Jesus different than all the other religious leaders. The Muhammad, Buddha, they pointed the way. Jesus said, I am the way. And receiving him transforms you both in low and high ways. It brings you down low, right? It brings you into humility because he had to die for you. And that brings about wonder and amazement that he did that. But then it can pull you back up, up into joy and thanksgiving because he was willing to die for you. And slam together, that's where beauty, that's where transcendence, that's where wonder and awe come out. But only if you have them together. If you only have humility, then you're like, woe is unto me. But if only you have this sort of joy, then there's a naivete there about life and yourself. Slam together, your heart is changed. Full hearts. So healing, heart. Lastly, hope. There's an infallible hope in the resurrection. Look at the first thing that's said to these women. These women are told, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Why? Because naturally, if you saw a supernatural being in front of you, that's probably what you would do is be afraid. But then they're told that Jesus had been risen from the dead. Now notice, this is an important distinction. They didn't know. They didn't actually see the moment where he was resurrected. They heard it from the angel and they hoped in that. The text that's before us, in fact, we have no text that, describes the actual resurrection moment when Jesus was raised from the dead. What we have are stories that discover the resurrection. So the tombstone that was removed, we know from John, Jesus can walk through walls. So the tombstone wasn't to let Jesus out. It was moved to let us in so that we could see it and then we could live in the hope of that. What do I mean by that? Um, The opposite of hope is fear. And I've seen a lot of fear the past couple of weeks. You can see in people's eyes. Now everybody's wearing masks everywhere. Uh, So all you see is their eyes. And if you get too close to them, their eyes get wider. And they're afraid. They're afraid that you might make them sick. They might be afraid that they'll get you sick. They're afraid of the economy. We're afraid of of what's going to happen to our loved ones. What's going to come of us. There's so much fear and uncertainty and doubt. And what this text is saying, it has the audacity to say, do not be afraid. Now, that's just a statement said into the void, but what grounds do we have to not fear? And the angel says, for he has risen. He is our hope. And hope is a future focus on an assurance and security in the future that then we can have now in our present lives. That there really is life after death. That there that Jesus really did die on the cross and forgive us of our sins. Hope 
And that trust in that is what we put our lives into when all other lights go out. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we hope in the resurrection? Do we let it daily, hourly, minute by minute affect how we view our lives and the world around us? Because if you do, you might actually start looking like Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. Um, there's a, there's a actually passage that most people don't really read much. Um, there's a section that describes his face once, and it says this. It says, His face was sad and stern because of the doom that was laid on him. And yet hope dwelt ever in the depths of his heart, from which mirth would arise at times like a spring from the rock. I feel like we're in the same boat. Doom has been laid upon us. And resurrection is not going to take away the pain of, of losing a loved one. It won't take away isolation or uncertainty or hardship. But what resurrection does is it gives us a hope that if you let it into the bowels of your soul, you let it dwell there, out of those depths, if we allow it out, it will constantly overflow in mirth, in joy, and it will overcome our grief and sorrow. That hope will let us dance in joy, even in the midst of sorrow. And we have that promise because the first miracle that Jesus did, to the inauguration of his kingdom that he was going to bring through the resurrection, was turning water into wine at a wedding, a very joyous occasion. But he had his, when he was doing that, he had to think about his own death. So Jesus, in the midst of joy, could sit there focusing on the, on the coming sorrow so that we today, in our sorrows, can focus on the coming joy. Let's be honest, we are in our sorrows. I've cried more the past two weeks than I have in the past 20 years combined. Nothing could have prepared us for this. Nothing could have gotten us ready. And it doesn't look like this is going to end anytime soon. I haven't personally been allowed to do any funerals. It's one of the cruel consequences of this pandemic. But if I could, one day when I will, I will stand next to the individuals who are grieving, who are having a hard time. And I will say we grieve, but we do not grieve without hope. That our loved ones are dead, but they won't stay that way. Resurrection means we will see them again. Resurrection means that we really can say to death, Oh, death, where is thy sting? You can take us for a little while, but you can't have us forever. So we can say, come crosses, come what may. The lower you lay us down, the higher will be raised up. Because what can death do other than bring us now further into new life and new glory and new love in him as we're closer to him? I think that's what Dr. Jonathan Evans was trying to say uh, during the funeral for his mother. I think I quoted this a couple weeks ago, but I have to say it again. You know, We know death is the worst thing that can happen to you in life. But when you're praying for a Christian, there's only two possible answers, he says. There's only two possible answers to that prayer. He says this. He says, either she's going to be healed or she's going to be healed. Either she's going to live or she's going to live. Either she's going to be with family or she's going to be with family. Either she's going to be well taken care of or she's going to be well taken care of. See, God is always in control. And that means the resurrection means 
that there's only one possible answer to how your life is going to end, and it's going to be with him. The Christian faith allows us to say, I don't know why this bad thing is happening. I don't know why it's happening, but it can't be that God doesn't love us because the ultimate bad thing that ever happened was Jesus on the cross, and God brought good through it. And if he can do that in Jesus' life, then you know that he can do it in our life and in our death. The nature of Jesus' victory, which is life through death, now means today we can have life through death still. Christians know that we will be taken care of in this life or the next. So he's orchestrating all things to bring us back to him. And the question is, will you let him? Will you let this resurrection power reside in you? As it fixes the present, as it infuses the future into us. So don't simply look back to the days of, of old and, and wish for those before the virus. No, we know that those days were fool's gold. They haven't prevented us. What we were treasuring, what we were storing, what we were hoping in has not been able to keep us from the hurt and the grief now. So look now then instead to the future. Look to the future resurrection promises and live in that space now. Because that means then no more sadness. It means no more death. It means nothing. no more rottenness. All that's lost is going to be found. All that is sick will be made well. All that's hurting will be healed. That means whatever's disfigured, whatever's broken, whatever's cancerous, no more shame, no more starvation, no more loneliness. The resurrection is the only answer to take away our pain because it treats it as real. It doesn't pretend it doesn't exist. It says, no, this is real, but then does something about it and redeems it. A friend of mine, now it's been a couple years, he was in his apartment and he fell down dead on the floor. His wife walked in and sees him dead. She was able to keep the blood flowing in his heart until the paramedics arrived and he's alive again, miraculously. But now he lives every day wondering, how do I not know that if my next breath will be my last? How do I not know if tomorrow's my last day? And frankly, I think what this pandemic has shown us is that's actually how all of us should be living. We need to ask ourselves, how do I know if tomorrow's not my last day? What do I do? And you know what his answer was? Very simple. He says this. He says, if I die tomorrow, I'll be with him. And if not, he'll be with me. That simple. Jesus Christ, if I die, I'll be with him. And if not, if I live, he'll be with me. That's the answer. Resurrection gives us confidence in assurance in death and life. Second Corinthians 4 says this, says, This slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's what we trust in. Christ the Lord is risen today. Alleluia. Let's live in light of that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need the resurrection now. Because we're hurting. It is hard. We know, we already we know the truths that this won't always be this way. There's so much sadness. And yet, the resurrection gives us a found, sturdy foundation to hold on to, to, 
to move forward in. That we can sit in the sorrow knowing the coming joy because you sat in joy sipping the coming sorrow. I pray that we would latch ourselves onto this, that we would drink deeply from the well of your goodness, that he is risen. Father, there's evidence. Help us to go into it and at the end of the day, hope and trust. We need, we need this now more than ever. Praise in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning into our church's podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast and we invite you to join us for worship on Sunday. We're located at the corner of West 64th Street and Central Park West. More details can be found on our website, lincolnsquare.redeemer.com. Thanks again for listening to the LSQ podcast.